Hi, and welcome back to The Everyday Therapist. I'm your host, Dr. Deb, and this is a place where we talk about clinical and research issues in psychology. And lately, I've been going over the various personality disorders that are uh, identified in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, also known as the DSM. Now, we've been working on uh, the Cluster B personality disorders. They are the ones that tend to have a lot more uh, emotion attached to them. So today we're going to be talking about Borderline Personality Disorder. Now, this is the personality disorder that, in my opinion, we tend to see more frequently in the clinical setting than any of the other personality disorders. Now, someone who suffers from borderline personality disorder tends to be someone who had extreme trauma before the age of five. Uh, and if you go back and look at some of my videos about trauma, I discuss the kinds of trauma that will lead to this type of personality disorder. Somebody who has borderline personality disorder tends to uh, think in a very black and white type of thought process, very similar to, say, a child who is under the age of five. Uh, people are either good or bad, and depending on the situation, a person can switch from being good to bad. In fact, I have had situations with, with clients who will come in and say, I want so-and-so to love me. So I'm going to reject him and that will bring him back to me. Or the next time we'll come in and say, I will give him lots and lots of love and then he will love me. So you get these sorts of push, pull, push, pull kinds of things towards people in their uh, intimate, close relationships. Um, and so that's why they sort of feel attached or reject, they go back and forth, rejecting and, and feeling attached. And it's because of having really uh, strong attachment problems or uh, injuries to their attachments when they are uh, were very young. People with borderline personality disorder also tend to come across as chameleons in that in order to be, get people to be attached to them and to care about them, they tend to take on the aspects of those around them. For example, uh, say somebody who is from the Midwest ends up in a group of people who are all from England, that person from the Midwest who, might, who has personality disorder might come back to her family or his family speaking with a British accent because the person has taken on aspects of that other group. Also, and I sort of implied this, people with borderline tend to have very strong reactions to situations. Uh, they're the ones who uh, are, they are people who tend to feel slighted very easily because they are on their guard for that kind of abandonment. They're very afraid of being abandoned. And so they are aware uh, or hyper aware actually of situations that they interpret as potentially leading to abandonment. So uh, somebody who has borderline personality disorder may show uh, signs of jealousy in relationships and interpret things as though the spouse or partner is straying when the partner or spouse is not doing anything. 
So again, these are people who are very afraid of being abandoned. They also lack a sense of self, and that goes along with the chameleon behavior. It's, they don't know who they are, and so they try to find something to be. And when there's not, no one around to help them define themselves, they feel empty and at a loss. So that's sort of in a nutshell what somebody who has personality disorder is, I mean borderline personality disorder is like. But I'm going to go over the uh, requirements or the criteria that we find in the DSM. And the rule is, uh, there. Are, let's see, I have my notes here. There are nine indicators. And to actually uh, diagnose somebody with border as borderline personality disorder, a person has to demonstrate at least six of these. So I had a mentor who once said, you know, Deb, everybody has a borderline moment or moments, but that does not mean you have borderline personality disorder. We all have gone through various kinds of trauma that can lead to fears of, of being abandoned and things like that. So the fact that you have a, a blow up or something like that does not mean you've got borderline. So let me go through our uh, nine um, criteria here. First, and this goes with the ab abandonment thing, yeah, issue. Frantic efforts to prevent uh, perceived abandonment, abandonment, either real or imagined. That's the person, again, who feels, get, becomes jealous very easily. Uh, and then responds because of that. Number two, pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships. And that gets to the uh, valuation and devaluation of a person. The person very, very good, does no wrong, then the person is flawed, as, as everyone is, then all of a sudden that person is now on the outs and the person with borderline will basically hate the uh, person who's now been devalued. And, and that causes a very unstable relationships because one day the person might be valued, the next day the person is not valued. And it goes back to uh, sort of the emotional struggles that the person uh, with borderline had as a child in trying to understand his or her relationship, especially to parents, to their caretakers. Children put their parents or caretakers sort of on a pedestal. And then if the parent being a human does something that the child doesn't like, then all of a sudden the parent is devalued. Now, I will give you an example from my own life. Uh, when I was three, I hated my dad. And so my father was a graduate student in psychology. And so he had read in his coursework that I wasn't developing correctly. So I was carted off to a child psychologist who all I can remember is playing with the toys. But apparently when I was asked why I didn't like my dad, I said, because he spanks me. So uh, the situation there was, okay, I devalued him because he did something that was painful to me. So what the psychologist said was, okay, have her mother be the one who punishes her. And that solved the problem, like apparently. But I had had devalued my dad because of how 
I perceived the situation as a three-year-old. And when the devaluation aspect went away, I valued him again. Um, so that's a, a very simple situation. And it's not like some uh, situations I've seen in my practice where somebody comes in and says, oh, I truly loved this person. And then uh, the person did something that didn't show loyalty. And now this person is horrible. And, and I don't want to have anything to do with the person. That is an adult doing the uh, valuation and devaluation. Now, um, number three is, in, I, as I talked sort of about before, identity disturbance. This means not having a, a good, strong sense of self of who the person truly is. And that is due basically to the feelings of abandonment as a very young child. Having somebody stable and loving around a young child is very important for that child to identify to come up with an identification of who he or she is in terms of the world. So uh, a child who doesn't get any kind of feedback of, yes, this is who you are. You are good at doing this. You seem to enjoy doing that. Those sorts of messages help a child develop a good sense of self. Without those messages, a child doesn't know who, who he or she is really. So that's why we see in somebody with, with borderline a tendency to really feel uh, as though there's nothing inside or, or not having a good sense of self. Another uh, characteristic is being impulsive. And I'm sorry that I keep looking down my notes, but I don't want to forget anything. So people with borderline tend to be impulsive in terms of their behaviors in uh, and here it lists at least two areas. And by impulsivity, we mean such as thing, things such as um, things that are potentially self-damaging, like spending a lot, spending over one's budget, overeating, substance abuse, reckless uh, driving, uh, extreme sexuality, all of these sorts of things that could be uh, harmful and are done at the spur of the moment. Again, the reason why someone would behave this way is to try to fill in that hole, that, that lack of sense of identity. Um, number five, recurrent suicidal behavior, just behavior in terms of gestures, threats, or self-mutilation. It, it used to be rule of thumb. If a client came in and the person tended to self-mutilate, that was a really strong indicator that the person has a borderline personality problem. Uh, but again, you have to have a bunch of others. So not, if that's the only sign that a person has, then you can't, can't diagnose borderline. But if somebody comes in and say, every session says, says to me, Deb, I only got through this weekend because I know I shouldn't do it, but I was thinking about killing myself. Or I had one, one client who, said, every five minutes, I think about killing myself. So we've got a repetitive thought process there that becomes comforting. And that's what, unless the person actually goes through with um, suicidal behavior, frequently, just the thought is sort of comforting. 
it shows the person has a sense of, well, I'm controlling my situation because borderline personality disorder people tend to not feel as though they're in control of their situations. Uh, their emotions are going up and down. Uh, their interpersonal relations tend to be very chaotic. And so having these repeated suicidal thoughts become a way of self-soothing in many cases. They are very serious, of course, but they serve a special role within this type of person's personality. Okay, this other next one I've sort of alluded to already. Affective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood, meaning the person ha has emotional swings going back and forth, up and down, because of things that sort of stimulate uh, the mood. So a person can be extremely happy because they're feeling loved and they're valuing somebody uh, very you know, to a very high level. Then one word is said and then the person with borderline will be in a ter no, tremendous rage you know, over that, that one little potential slight. And so that's what we mean by instability of emotion. Number seven, and this goes back with uh, some of the earlier ones, uh, chronic feelings of emptiness. Somebody who keeps having to bring in the views of other people, become like other people, uh, the chameleon basically is doing that because he or she feels very empty in, in oneself. And it's a way to try to, to feel and to feel as though one has a sense of self. So just sort of having feeling empty and not knowing how to be or who to be uh, leads to this kind of emptiness. The next one, number eight, uh, this goes back with the mood. Inappropriate, uh, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. Again, that goes back with the devaluation and valuation. When somebody with borderline becomes upset that uh, the people around him or her are not living up to the high expectations that borderline has, then that person will become extremely angry about the situation. Um, and it, it goes back to how a young child will value, put such high value on those adults around him or her. But then the adults turn out to be flawed. And it's very hard for a young child to understand that people can be have good aspects and bad aspects and stuff in between. So that's what leads to the intense anger that we see in somebody with a borderline personality disorder. Now, the last uh, factor or criterion is sort of transient or every now and then uh, paranoid ideation or dissociative symptoms. Now, <coughs> excuse me. In the future, I will talk a bit more about dissociation. I did talk about it in terms of trauma. But what can happen is somebody with borderline uh, will behave, begin to behave again in uh, very stressful situations in a way that 
a very, very young child will in terms of pulling away, that's the dissociation, pulling away emotionally and mentally so that um, uh, the child or the adult now can feel safe. And in terms of the parano paranoid ideation, again, that goes back to being hyper aware of the, of the possibility of being abandoned or rejected. So always being alert, uh, which then can lead to certain views of paranoia, very alert that somebody is going to potentially hurt the uh, person with paranoia, I mean, person with borderline uh, personality disorder. So again, those are the, the nine criteria uh, that a therapist would look at in order to do the diagnosis. Now, in terms of frequency of prevalence in the population, uh, the estimate is that in the general population, it's only about 3% of people who uh, experience borderline personality disorder. But in terms of the clinical setting, <clears throat> it, it, it's actually much higher. It's 10%. And as I think I mentioned before, uh, I once worked with a psychiatrist who would say anybody walking through the doors has some kind of personality disorder. And many of the women that I have dealt with, and I, I need to point out that women tend to high, have a higher prevalence of borderline personality disorder than men do. And um, there's, it's hard to understand why that might be. It may have to do with uh, genetics and nervous system development and, and things like that. But I have had male clients who did have um, all met the criteria for borderline personality disorders. But in a clinical setting, as I said, it's 10% in outpatient, it's 10% of, of the people coming in the door who can be diagnosed with borderline. And in an inpatient setting, it's all the way up to 20%. And that is because uh, for somebody who has this type of disorder, their lives become out of control. And if they are suffering from suicidal ideation, that can quite often lead to being referred to inpatient. And that's the reason why they end up there, it being 20%. Now, an interesting fact about borderline is that um, as people get older, the symptomology tends to decrease. And in fact, very rarely would you see somebody being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder once the person's over, say, about the age of 45. Uh, whereas in some of the other personality disorders, in fact, most of the others, one can still receive a diagnosis of that personality disorder you know, way later in the person's uh, lifespan. But with for borderline, it seems as though um, things such as impulsivity and the black and white thinking and things like that team seem to sort of age out and it may just be because the person gains more experience in the world with how others are they begin to learn that uh black and white thinking and um, the valuation devaluation 
really isn't the right way of interacting with the world. And one of the ways in which borderline personality disorder is treated is by using a therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT. And what happens in DBT is helping to train uh, or teach the, the person with borderline how to see the world in a new way to realize that yes, somebody can be a wonderful person, but also have bad faults and being able to balance that understanding and also learning how to do things such as manage moods and uh, suicidal ideation and suicidal uh, acts uh, or self-harm self acts. Uh, and so somebody who comes into treatment and is diagnosed with borderline, it's very likely to be put into a DBT program. Now, again, we've talked some about the causes of borderline. You know, first of all, the very early trauma. Also, there seems to be potentially a genetic relationship in that there's a greater prevalence of it showing up if, you know, within, say, the, the first order of a family. So mother, daughter, father, son, siblings. If one has it, there's, uh, let's see, I think it's like five times greater if seen in, in one family member. But it can be a combination of genetics or of learned family patterns. Uh, if a child comes into a family where there is already a set of ways to interact with the world, that child is going to learn those behavioral patterns and potentially both the, you know, the overt behavioral pattern, patterns and the cognitive ones. So it's very hard to pull apart whether it's genetic or how much of it's learned. So you've got both there. Now, um, one, one might say, okay, uh, say we have somebody who is um, borderline, can that person also have other kinds of mental health issues? And the answer is yes. Person can have, uh, uh, like, can be bipolar, can have um, depressive disorder, uh, other kinds of things such as attention deficit disorder, uh, beyond the autism spectrum. All of those things can still be there. It's not as though being borderline personality disorder rules out it. It doesn't. So. That's what I was going to explain about borderline personality disorder. And if anybody has questions, you can leave them in the comments and I will respond. Um, and next time in terms of personality disorders, I will be discussing histrionic personality disorder. And you'll see that there are a lot of similarities between histrionic and borderline, but that's because there's a lot of, uh, histrionic has a lot of the same kinds of emotional uh, behaviors. So the next thing I'm going to do is, you know, in the past I've been talking about other topics such as holistic uh, health in terms of supporting mental health, but today I'm, I want to talk about three um, concepts that I think are very useful for everyone to understand and know how they apply to themselves and to others. And those are projection, transference, and what's called repair theory. Now let's start with the first one, projection. When a person meets somebody, 
uh, or goes into a new situation, that person will come, will look at the situation or the person and map it internally and usually at a subconscious level to things from the past, and then project everything that was that was known or happened in the past onto the new situation. Okay, so I'll give you a, a good example. And transference goes with this as well, because with the transference part, all the emotions that were associated with um, whatever gets projected outwards, those get transferred to the new situation. Whether or not they apply, they still get transferred. And this happens for everybody because a lot of it is subconscious. And unless you can catch yourself, it's very easy to do in every situation. But I'll give you an example. Um, many years ago, um, I worked at a, a clinic and I was assigned a client. And the client came in, uh, it was a young man, and he looked at me and I started doing the intake, asking questions, and he wouldn't talk to me very much at all. I got a little bit out of him, but not very much. I, I did get some of his history. And then we scheduled for another session. He came back, he just wouldn't talk to me. And it wasn't working at all. And since this was a substance abuse clinic, he had to come to uh, treatment for therapy. So the team decided to transfer him over to somebody who was younger than he. Well, younger than me, about the same age as he was. And the two of them got along fine. And then I was assigned his older sister and she was able to explain to me that her, when she was giving her history and then how very family various family members got along it became very obvious that i reminded this young man of his mother and i hadn't even done anything except exist and he just kind of assumed that i'd be just like his mother and the sister I got along with her fine because I reminded her of maybe her mother's an aunt or something, somebody else that she got along with. So and that, that is a very obvious case of projection. The young man projected his memories and thoughts about his mother onto me and all the emotions that were associated with that projection were transferred to me. And the thing is, this happens all the time. When I worked in that clinic, everyone assumed, because I have gray hair, and I had gray hair back then, I had gray, gray hair now, assumed because I tend to wear skirts, to me this, because they're comfortable, and I have gray hair, so they figured I was a hippie, an old hippie who probably had gone to Woodstock. Now, I'm too young to have gone to Woodstock, but they didn't really think about that. They just saw a person and the older ones at the clinic assumed I was like them, and some of them even thought I had been a drug addict. Um, and so the thing is, because I realized how they were making these projections and then being able to examine how they, what their transferences were, those could be, became tools for me to help them. I could help them recognize when they were making faulty assumptions about me and how they could then understand how they were 
seeing the world not necessarily the way it was, but how they were basing it on their past experiences, whereas being open, whereas they could become open to newer, exper newer experiences. And so they could then begin uh, moving forward in their own in their own therapy that way. So that's how projection and transference works. And again, it happens all the time everywhere. We all do it. The important thing is to realize that the way you, way somebody sees somebody else may not match that person at all. Another case where the uh, client assumed, since I was a therapist, I must be of a certain political bent. And he said that. <laughs> and therapists will just say, mm, okay, uh, we can talk about why you think that. Uh, and so you know, begin addressing those assumptions without even saying, yes, no, I'm, I'm that way or not that way. But it, it leads to discussion. Okay, now moving on to the third um, concept, uh, repair theory. Now, there's an idea that in therapy, what a therapist is doing with clients a lot of the time is repairing relationships because clients come into therapy thinking that the therapist can fix the problem. Therapists can't fix the problem. Clients also think that therapists are something other than human. And so when a therapist makes an error, and we do all the time, we make we make our own assumptions of what's going on, and sometimes we forget to ask. Sometimes we will say the wrong thing because we we don't really know what's in the other person's brain. We just are trying to help that person figure out the, themselves. So there will be problems in that therapeutic relationship. Repair theory is the idea that when a problem occurs, the therapist and client will work together to come up with a solution for that problem, whether it's talking more about it and, and one person saying, oh, I see how I made these assumptions or I misunderstood, and the other person saying, I didn't hear you quite right, let's try it again. Those ways of repairing the relationship and what clients can take from that is using those skills themselves for repairing relationships because we screw up relationships you know, all the time and a lot of times we don't know how to fix it we're afraid to fix it we just become angry and run away but if we work on repairing the relationships then we can all move forward with a better understanding of each other and feeling more comfortable and safe with each other. So that's all I was going to share today. And uh, if you found this to be useful, please share it around, give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, because as I said, when I get up to a thousand people, I'm doing a giveaway. But at the rate I'm going, it's going to take a while. So the more people who watch this and subscribe, the better, better it is for my channel and the more information that people will get that will be able to help them 
in their own lives. So thank you, and I'll see you again. Bye.